Welcome to the next episode of the Explorate Podcast. Tonight, we're going to be diving deep into Crusader Kings 3 and talking all about our thoughts about it. But we've all been playing it for some time. And joining me tonight is Ben. Welcome, Ben. Hey, Rob. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm excited to talk about Crusader Kings 3. I'm hoping you are too. I'm really excited because I've been really enjoying it. So, yeah. Excellent. And again, joining me tonight is Daz, Daz Tactic. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Yeah, looking forward to this, the discussion. It's a great game, so it'll be fun to actually go through and uh, just get everyone's perspective on what they like and what they don't like about the game, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be really good to have all of our perspectives here, and I think maybe we can try to find some things we don't like to maybe give some constructive criticism. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we don't have anything. <laughs> and a few things, actually. Great, great, good, because I have had a hard time finding anything. So, hey, Drexy, you're here. Welcome. Hey, how's, how's it going? Um, I've had a busy evening uh, trying to seduce my son's wife. But uh, apart from that, I'm really, really well. <laughs> oh, cool. I, yeah, I'm hoping you're talking about Crusader Kings 3, because uh, else, if not, there's some weird shit going on over there. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and that is part of the fun of this game, isn't it? So we were talking before the show started about how this was numerically, quantitatively, objectively, Paradox's best launch when it comes to players. So there's a lot to be said about that. I know that, hey, Ben, we had a hard time convincing you at first that you should even play this game because you kind of wrote off Paradox. You want to talk about that? Yeah, just quickly. I mean, I I bought loads and loads of DLC for various Paradox games, and I enjoyed all of them for a while, but I kind of uh, I didn't even play the last DLC that I bought for CK2. I kind of put it away. I put it aside and was hoping to play it later. And then I never did. So I swore to myself that I wasn't going to buy CK3 until I'd played all the DLC that I'd got for Crusader, <laughs> Crusader Kings 2 and Hearts of Iron 4 and Europa, Europa Universalis 4 and whatever else. And um, And then I started seeing some of the reviews coming in. And I spoke to all three of you independently. And um, yeah, you it sounded like it was really good. And get this, right? I've, been, I've been having some problems with my computer, so I couldn't get Game Pass working. And I know that Crusader Kings 3 is currently available on Game Pass, so if you don't want to shell out the full price, you can get it on that. But I couldn't get Game Pass working, so I actually paid full price for the game, and I do not regret it. I, I've sunk in 30, nearly 30 hours over the, over the last three or four days because I'm, I, I'm, I'm, off, I'm off school at the moment. So I've got plenty of time, and it's just eaten my time. It's great. Yeah, and you mentioned those DLC, and that's something that I think going into Crusader Kings 3, I was a bit concerned about because with all that content, it's hard to compete, right? Like something that I mentioned before, and I think is a good point, is that when you get into games that have like a, a longstanding series, like let's say Civilization is probably the prime example, but we could talk about Crusader Kings in this case, Europa Universalis, or any game really that's just a, a, another iteration of a long-standing series that has a significant amount of content that's built into it, you worry about the fact that the next iteration won't have that content, and you worry about how that's going to affect gameplay and your enjoyment of it. And I think where Crusader Kings 3 has gone completely in the right direction is that, yes, they still added quite a bit of content. I'm not going to lie. There is still stuff that I'm seeing in this game 40 hours later that I had I didn't see in my first four or five playthroughs. They managed to make a really solid base product to basically set as the foundation for more content later, right? <laughs> so I don't know. What do you guys think? 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Actually, I think it's uh, it's incredible. Actually, what they've actually been able to keep in the game uh, from CK two with all the DLCs. There's things that I'm, as you say, like you keep on coming across little things and think, oh wow, I was expecting that to see that in a DLC at some later date. Even just the scale of the map, the size of the map, going you know right across to China, basically, you know, and, and keeping all of that West African you know part in there as well. It's just it's just phenomenally phenomenal what they've actually done, and uh, with some of the innovations that they've done, like you know with uh, faiths and things like that, the way that they've sort of handled that, simplified some aspects to make it sort of work and sim- like so that they can actually have these these ones that were quite difficult in CK two actually then come through in a very very clear way in CK three is really impressive. Yeah, I was actually surprised. I was worried as well because with CK two because so much DLC. The UI was a bit messy, I found, but they did a really good job of making a really clean, really uh, easy to understand UI. The nested tooltips are absolutely amazing. Yeah, they've done a good job at sort of moving all that content whilst not overcluttering the UI. They've streamlined it, so it's very good for new players as well to come in and play it. Yeah, I think the amount of detail and the amount of thought that went into their UI overhaul and the way they've used symbols and colors to really make it very clear where your eyes should be going and what each button and each thing does. And I, I want to talk briefly about the tutorial as well, because I think the tutorial does an outstanding job of of helping a new player who maybe just might be coming new to the series understand what what Crusader Kings is all about. And that's difficult. I think that's a very difficult thing to do. And especially when you have so many working parts and there are, you know, quite a few layers to this game. But Crusader Kings 3 and the guys, you know, the the Paradox guys did a great job of of making this game feel very accessible from the very get-go because of that fantastic tutorial. I agree with you 100% there, Rob. It's um, the tutorial. I wasn't going to play it, actually, because I thought I'd just rip into the game, start playing. And I enjoyed what I, what, you know, because I was familiar with CK2. But uh, I decided to actually start the tutorial, and I ended up just doing the whole thing. It t- takes a little, little while to go through each of the steps, but it's really, really solid. And as you say, it's just sort of done in such a way that you just feel drawn into the actual game just by playing the tutorial. It's, it's done in a very, very good way. And, and that combination, as Drexie was saying about the, um, the tooltips, I've never seen a game that's that's done the tool tips as well as what CK3 has. And it's um, if you need to find something out, nearly everything will give you some really, really good information that then sort of goes deeper and deeper as you sort of uh, move those tool tips through. So now that that combined with the tutorial, the, the change in the user interface, there's still some things in the user interface that I wish were done a little bit differently, but maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But uh, everything else is um, yeah just phenomenally good. Yeah, I actually played a multiplayer game with a couple friends who have never played CK2 or Europa Universalis, but they don't play any grand strategy game at all. So I got them to play the um, tutorial before we started, and they, at, we the game was, I'll talk about it later, we, it was absolutely hilarious. They loved the game and they want to play some more. This wasn't your son's wife, was it? that's another game (laughs) yeah so to maybe further speak about the nested tooltips i think you know you mentioned you hadn't seen it before it it was something that i saw in at the gates john shaver's at the gates and i remember when he first came up with these and i I, before him i don't think anyone else had come up with these kind of tooltips but 
I remember when John Schaefer came out the gate with, <laughs> came out the gate, uh, there's a pun, without the gates and their tool tips. And I, I remember seeing them and thinking, wow, that that's really very smart. I mean, John Schaefer had had developed a way to, I think tool tips in, the, in and of themselves had, had kind of been stagnant for some time, right? Like the mouse over tool tips, you get some information. But there were a lot of times where I would see a term or something in a tool tip and I'm like, well, I want to know more about this. And John Schaefer was able to figure out a way to like basically like hold a tool tip and then allow the player to go through keywords, the use of keywords, and then, you know, kind of go down this rabbit hole of, of figuring out what different keywords meant and how those affected the variety of gameplay mechanics and stuff like that. And again, something I was mentioning before, I think that this is something that may have been part of John Schaefer's legacy at Paradox because he got hired shortly after he started to unveil these cool tooltips and worked for Paradox for nine, 10 months, uh, you know, just shy of a year before, you know, from what I understand, there was a lot of creative differences and stuff. And I think, you know, uh, John can be difficult to work with from what I understand, but with that, I think he he must have impressed upon them the importance of these tooltips, and I'm glad he did because they are revolutionary at this point. I think that the difference between At The Gates' tooltips and Crusader Kings 3's tooltips are how well laid out and how good they look. I mean, they don't feel like a spreadsheet. Nothing about Crusader Kings 3 feels like a spreadsheet as a result of this fantastic UI and these just amazing sets of tooltips. I think the excellent tooltips and the excellent tutorial form part of a broader, just the, the, the presentation in uh, Crusader Kings 3 is on another level to any of the other Paradox games. Hearts of Iron 4 was a step in the right direction, but this is, uh, and I know they're all different development teams work on each one, but this is so much better. It's, it's a complicated game. And I don't think, the, I mean, the, some of the systems are streamlined. And I, it's been a while since I played CK2, so I've got to be honest, I, I can't give you an example of particularly how it has streamlined and where they have, you know, where they have made certain concessions with the complexity. But it doesn't feel like a simpler game. It, it feels like uh, a complex game that's easy to learn and easy to play. And I, I'm a little bit biased, I guess, because I played CK2, so I didn't really struggle picking up some of the more nuanced aspects of the game because I've played it before. But you Rob, you hit the nail on the head. It it really doesn't feel like you're, you know, one of the things that could be a bit intense in Crusader Kings 2 is, you know, if you're trying to find a relationship, you know, trying to find a marriage, let's say, you're trying to set up a marriage between one, one of your characters, you had to scroll through all this this huge kind of spreadsheet-like list of of characters. Now there's this amazing search function where you can where you can kind of say, you know, you can I mean you were always able to type in what kind of trait you were looking for but you've got all this kind of like almost like an sql kind of thing where you can say i want this and yeah a filter uh you know and you can filter out certain traits and characteristics it's just it's so much better than the old system and it just really facilitates smooth gameplay i would still love to have the detail of the spreadsheet sort of style approach underneath what they've got and that's one thing i really miss um that's one of my big negatives with the game is that uh, to try to find for example for me it reminds me like you're actually playing, uh, like you're trying to actually sort of run a business where you're only using a balance sheet rather than a profit and loss sheet. You don't know why certain things have, have got to where they are at any point in time. Like you, there's no message log. And so it's those sorts of things where I just wish there was more information if you wanted to delve deeper, that you could actually find that information. And I really, really miss that. Like, not that CK2 did a good job of that, but when I compare it to other games that 
that do keep track of the history of what things, why things happen. For me, that really adds a lot to the immersion. And for me, CK3, for me, that's the biggest, biggest failure with it so far is that it doesn't have enough spreadsheet in it. <laughs> oh, not so much spreadsheet, but just information you can then find if you want to delve deep. And I think that's a difficult balance to, to create or to keep, right? So like there, I think I, I, from what I've read in some of their dev diaries and from now, like post, post-release, like, uh, you know, diatribes and stuff are that they really went into the Crusader Kings 3 development process with the intent of making this game much more accessible, right? They understood that the, that the Crusader Kings 2 was like, when people got into it and they figured it out, they're like, holy shit, this is a great, you know, story generator. There are just wild moments that occur in, in this game that don't happen in any other game. But there was this barrier to entry that maybe was, well, it was, it was too high for a lot of people. And so their main intent was to keep a lot of that complexity, but also make it easier to understand and get into. And I think that's something that they succeeded in almost better than any I've ever seen, really. I'd agree that there still needs to be some room for like the grognards, right? Like the people that really like those numbers that really want to see that kind of stuff there, you know, there's always, I mean, there there could always be options, right? You should always have the ability to, to be able to add stuff in or at least see things in different ways that maybe someone like Daz would like to see more of like a spreadsheet look. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things, like, so I'm halfway between the two views, yeah? So I think I, I agree with what Daz says. One of the things I like about Dominions, by the way, is that you can, when something's going on, you can actually pause the game and, and go deep into what's happening. Like, you can literally see every single dice roll that's being made in that game. And Crusader Kings 2 had a bit more of that. The The issue I had with the, the previous Paradox games is I found there's way too many messages and i wasn't very good at disciplining myself to kind of filter out the ones i didn't really need because you know it was one of those things where i felt i probably needed to know everything but it became an exhausting process kind of you know trying to check all these messages to the point where i stopped doing it and then i'd miss important stuff so that that there's got to be a balance to be struck there it'd be great i think if you if they maybe they have i've not actually really delved into the options in ck3 a lot but i don't know i I imagine daz has but um, if he's if he's saying that it isn't in there, but if you could kind of like have some halfway between the system in CK two and CK three, that would be ideal. You know, where you could actually turn off some of the extraneous information that's a bit too much, but you know, still have the opportunity to like Dominions, kind of go in and see where certain you know check out certain detail, even if you just want to look at the fluff of what's going on. I think like it's I have had a look to see if I could find the message lock. The message lock's the thing that I really really want. I don't actually want to. Go, I don't really need to go in and see. Like it does expose the die rolls. Uh, like, for example, if you're actually in a battle, you can go and have a look at that. It's all in there when you actually are playing CK3. So I've, I can tick that and say, yep, I don't need, like, I don't want to min max the game either. I want it to be, I want it to be a story. But uh, part of that story for me is knowing why a certain event has happened. Like, for example, in a battle, as soon as I'm in a battle in CK3, I just turn the speed down to one. So it goes the slowest it can go. And I pause whenever anything comes up. Now, quite often, your champions will then be fighting other champions and they'll get injured or they might kill each other, things like that. It comes up as a little sort of pop-up during the battle, stays there for about three seconds and disappears and you cannot get that back. (laughs) And so you can't go and click, unless you do it really quickly, you can't go and see who was that champion from the other side, like where did he fit in? So you miss all that story and um, if there was a message log with all that in there because I love I love what it does with the messages like because it doesn't overwhelm you like in CK2 it overwhelmed you whereas I think it's perfect in CK3 
except that when you want it on when you got it on pause, you want to have a look back at it and actually go and see, okay, who fought who in the fight, what who injured who, and and where do they fit into the story? And I just wish that log was there. And um, so it's not not so much the the actual numbers is what's happening, but actually just for me more of the emergence of the story. That's what I mean about it's sort of like you only know what's happening right in the, in the actual moment. Not in the, not even in, you know, in the lead up to what's actually happening, and it would be great to just see all of those little things somewhere, but they're just not. I can't find them. Yeah, something you mentioned that stood out to me that really impressed me with Crusader Kings three is that, you know, there are a lot of events that occur, and sometimes in CK two, I didn't really understand why they would occur, right? But what I think is great about Crusader Kings three is that it actually mentions below after a certain event occurs that this happened as a result of your character's high martial rate, or this happened in spite of your your character's high martial rate. And that actually, it, it, it helped me understand like why this thing was happening, right? Like, so maybe one of my characters gets into a fight and he destroys this person. And, you know, that leads to a, a certain event tree or whatever. And it'll tell me, okay, this happened because, hey, your guy's really good at fighting. So th- this is the outcome of your your character being very good at fighting and then sometimes you maybe you have somebody who's just a complete you know weakling and their martial skill isn't very high and yet somehow they prevail in this this event you know they had a good dice roll and it'll tell you that it'll say hey this happened in spite of that you know like even though your per, your person's not very good at martial skill or whatever it is whatever whichever skill that it was trying to check in that moment it will tell you, hey, like, even though it wasn't very good in that skill, it actually, that person still managed to triumph in this case. And I really like that. It helps me, you know, you could, I, I don't know if you can turn it off. If you can, that's great, because I'm sure some people want to role play and not get into that. But I also, for me, as someone who's looking at it in a strategic way, in some ways, like, you know, you try to, you know, move your people and have them trained the way you want them to be trained and, you know, have them basically molded in the in the fashion that you need them to be or want them to be. Seeing all that and seeing like the fruits of that labor is really fun for me. Yeah, I completely agree. It's really satisfying. And, you know, seeing the fruits of your labor, partly because it's all presented to you in a, in a much more easy to digest format. And, you know, and you can, like you say, with this tooltip system, you can quickly go through and see what all these things that you've been setting up, or you know, how they actually come together and how you know what it is that causes that so it's just the the general presentation of the game is just better on every level uh that extends to the battles Daz was talking about the battles briefly and i think that the the way that i i enjoyed combat and the strategic side of crusader kings 3 much more than crusader kings 2 i'm not saying it's i don't remember it being much better necessarily it just feels easier to understand better presented and I actually started, I kind of like, I didn't really care about the battles so much in CK2. I just kind of like fast forwarded them a little bit and just hope for the best. Whereas in this one, I've really started to try to play it tactically and, you know, take take care of all the skills that my characters have, you know, sit in, uh, you know, in certain terrain that I know that they're better off fighting, train the right kind of mercenaries, that kind of thing. It just It's just a better game in many ways. Yeah, I appreciate the 3D models. Like you can actually get a feel, even if you didn't look at the little pop-up that shows you like how your your armies are doing in comparison to one another. Even just watching the 3D models battled out, you can start to see like how they're doing and <laughs> just, just watching the 3D models. And I think that's a significant feat. Like, you know, I, it wouldn't be something that I, I don't sit there and I stare at them, but I can tell 
that they've actually gone through the effort of making sure that the 3D models represent the the like general sway of battle, and that's that's something that's you know it's a, a an attention to detail that you just don't get in many games, and it's it certainly is is a nice little thing there too. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention too is that I really like how the the characters in this game are modeled. Um, before we you know we had 2D, and I know that it's a limitation of the time in which CK2 was developed, but now to see like these all these 3D models and how all of them look. I mean, you do have some similarities in the way that some family members will look the same. And some people that are like in the same genealogy line are, you know, like they look to be in the same genealogy line, but they all do, do look separate. They all look unique. And I think that in and of itself is a huge feat. And I'm, you know, again, I could wax poetic about a lot of things that are going on here, but I think maybe we should start talking about some of the flaws. What do you guys think? Some things that we can think of that we can maybe offer constructive criticism for. I just want to make one point going back to combat is uh, I actually really like the new system with the man at war and it shows you what each type of unit counts, what unit. And I actually, I think I only ever bought mercenaries twice in my three or four games I played which I'm surprised about because that was something I have to buy a lot in CK2. Yeah, I agree. I think the uh, the battle system and the uh, the whole way that you sort of build your armies now uh, and also needing to sort of really, and uh, Ben had mentioned it before, needing to actually think about the terrain that you're likely to fight in, you know, which ones fight better in that terrain, who they fight better against. It's actually much, much more involved, which is great. Um, but also the, um, the I, love, I really love the system now where you've actually got the um, – like that, almost that three three phase system. Like the approach, the early battle, and if you sort of um, if you can turn them in the early battle, you completely wipe out the other army. I like that because you're not then chasing them all over the map. So that's a big big um, tick for me. Is just the fact that you can actually get those battles where if you're actually if you're good enough, you'll actually end up destroying the army uh, rather than you know like the old old way of it playing was you know armies would you'd be chasing them all over the map, and um, whereas this this just isn't the case. They've done so many great little tweaks to um to the way that the game actually plays you don't even think about it when you're playing it it just plays instinctively now which is fantastic i think one of the strengths of of crusader kings is it's um with the way that the, the military works okay so i'm going to put it in terms of hearts of iron 4 right hearts of iron 4 i like as a game as a strategic game but i don't really like the way that battles play out very much i just can't really get into it i think part of it is because the generally if you're playing one of the larger nations there's just so much to do and this you know there's a lot of busy work with moving all your units so crusader kings 3 is a smaller scale generally i mean i guess when you get towards the end of the game you might have many many armies but i think the the smaller the smaller scale is to its is to its benefit at least at the start of the game it's much more easy to manage you know just a couple of armies than it is like 50 divisions or whatever it will be in in, in hearts of iron 4 so yeah, I agree. And I, I think something that I do want to mention, too, before we get back in, I, I, I was trying to get us into a constructive criticism portion, but we'll, we'll, there's one thing that I do want to mention first again that I think is a, a fantastic addition to Crusader Kings 3 is that the the new character development system wherein that you have like skills, skill trees, uh, you, you have five different focuses and then or maybe four, four or five, and then you have three separate trees for each of these that feel very unique, right? So... For me, that adds a an agency, a player agency that I, I feel that was kind of lacking that is overwhelmingly positive in my experience to the point where I feel like I really am role-playing this character, right? And I'm able to 
you know, play to this person's strengths and then develop them in ways that make me feel like I'm playing the game the way I want to play it. And of course, there's also, you know, the RNG factors that play. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you might invest a lot of time and a lot of that skill tree or something into a character that you're really excited about. And then that person dies for <laughs> so many different reasons. Yeah, I think that I think that character development is is a much needed aspect and a much needed addition to the Crusader Kings formula. And also one that I think was just a freaking home run. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Stellaris, where you sort of develop, in Stellaris, you develop your um, race with a goal in the game with the trees. It actually um, informs how you're going to play your game as well, which I find really, really good. For me, it's, it goes well well beyond that. And it's, it's almost like while we've been talking and while I've been listening to you guys talk as well, I've been sort of thinking that uh, I wonder if the, like quite often the, I think that the paradox model has been to simulate uh, sort of things that would actually happen first and then actually sort of get like a, a role play aspect or sort of make it so that it, it sort of plays more role play after the simulation. It almost now feels like the role play has now taken the, taken the primary role and that simulation is now sitting underneath. So when you are sort of developing your characters, looking at the characters, even the fact that what they do with that little thing, uh, those little two words that they put at the end of the of each character's name, just so you sort of know like it might be a you know an immoral scoundrel or something like that. It's just it just sets a, a little role play tone with everything that they've done. Just everything is so polished the way that they've actually approached that. Do you think then that they've kind of they've listened to the feedback and uh, and criticism of the previous game They've and that they've started to play on the strengths of what Crusader Kings 2 was really good for. So they've really brought this role-playing aspect and storytelling aspect to the fore. I mean, the writing is better, I've noticed. I think the, the event mm-hmm. writing is just really, really high quality. Um, like Rob, Rob touched on this, and just before we go into the criticism, I, I just want to double... Uh, I want to uh, support this point that the, immer- the overall immersion of the game is second to none. Uh, the 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 way that the the 3D graphics, all the, the the characters, they look similar if they're related. If they get sick, you can see the the illnesses that they have. You know, like they might be covered in boils, or uh, when they get wounded, you can f- see the physical wounds that they have. It's just amazing, and it, just that change from the 2D portraits to this 3D system where you see these living, breathing characters, it draws you into the game in a way that Crusader Kings 2 never did. And I just think that's. It just adds to this. It, the overall quality of this game is just on another level to the to their previous titles. I feel. Okay, I've had enough of the fanboy. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> yes, give it to us. Let's hear it. Let's hear. It. No, it's, Let's... It's, it's not that. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. But what I have felt, what I have felt, is that while it it, it just feels like it's a very tidy version of uh, CK two, and I have this niggling feeling that. I'm being set up for a lot of DLC to come. <laughs> I hope it's not going to be that, but... Oh, you know it they, is. <laughs> they didn't put too much into it, so they can... Like, for example, you only see, like, half of China, for example, and yep. you know there's going to be a China DLC coming along. So there's little <laughs> things like that where I can see where they're going to bring in some DLC into this, definitely. I think in the game's defense, the amount of content that, that is there on release is pretty staggering compared to some of, you know, like, I didn't play Imperator, but we all know what flack that game took for just not having any, you know, not having the content that players were expecting. And I, uh, I mean, the first DLC is not even due out until about a year's time. I think it's, I think it's September 2021, I think they said. So... I don't really get that vibe from it. I've, some of the criticism that I've seen online is that 
there's only three government systems and one of them isn't particularly good. Uh, I think it's the tribal one. Uh, I don't feel that that's a big problem. I didn't really care that much about the Holy Roman Empire sort of political thing anyway. I didn't. I never really played that much because I found it over complex. And I know some people have really missed that in it. Um, I think that all the, the I, I'm I'm currently playing as uh, Lithuania, and uh, you know the the nation that becomes Lithuania, some of the nations that become Lithuania, and um, the the they play with the tribal uh, sorry, with the yeah I think it's the tribal rules, and they just it's so different to playing as the early feudal era it's completely different the game feels so different it's just i think it's great i think it's really good fun you can take that even further like and i i agree i think the game is actually launching with heaps of stuff in it like heaps of stuff the the game mechanics in it are just so polished i um yeah sorry drexy i disagree i i think there will be dlc but i think it'll be more meaningful than what it has been with the other titles and uh the thing that really uh, like you've sort of mentioned the different sort of government systems but when you look at the actual layers that you can put on that, the filtering that you can sort of put on that depending on how you're playing, like, for example, you get a tribal nation and then take it into a, uh, into a, like a, a faith that uh, does human sacrifice and all of a sudden that tribal nation has then got a war, a war type where you can actually then go and raid for captives to then go and sacrifice those captives or to ransom those captives, which you don't get. Like every other tribal nation doesn't get to do that except that one little mix. There's a lot of those little things where things actually get applied to it also, the fact that tribal nations can actually raid uh, is interesting. So I, I don't know. There's an awful lot to like about what they've actually done. You know, it's um, the thought process in it. For me, it's all about this immersion factor. They've just added so much to the actual to this launch version. Yeah, I am a fanboy, I guess, <laughs> in that sense. <laughs> well, my point was like, for example, Imperator was brought up, and the problem with that game is, you know, there's nothing to. It's, it's a totally new game. First one they've done in ages since Stellaris. So, I mean, they had CK2 to build off and they had all that CK2 uh, DLC to build off. So, of course, this is going to be a feature rich game. But I still think there is going to, especially when I saw China, I was like, okay, yeah, half yeah. of that's missing. There's definitely going to be a DLC for that, for example. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And as you guys are speaking, the one thing that I did remember that, that kind of, maybe not rub me the wrong way, but I just felt like was lacking in a way that CK2 wasn't, was or has been the amount of map changing. I feel like in Crusader Kings 2, the game was much more dynamic. There were things that happened that, at least in my games, okay, so again, I've only had some 40-something hours with it, but in my experience, there hasn't been quite the amount of territorial shift that I have seen in previous Crusader King games, and especially with, with CK2, a lot of, I spent a lot of time with CK2, some three or four hundred hours, and you know I would almost always see some weird shit, right? Like there would just be like times where France would have all of Britain, or Great Britain would take all of France, or you know Burgundy was something that, and I just I haven't seen weird AI stories. I have seen stories that I have created that are crazy, and I look back and I'm like, wow, okay, I started with Ireland, and now Ireland is like basically all of Europe. That's crazy, but that, for me, I haven't really seen from the AI. And that actually, I can see that being fixed, right? That's something that needs to be fixed, but it does it does feel like a step back from Crusader Kings too. I don't know. I've seen the opposite, actually. In, um, I just was playing a random character. I ended up playing in Bulgaria, and... Uh, Bulgaria's got these different uh, sort of competing um, base around it. And I ended up playing two different games of the same character to see what actually ended up happening. And uh, 
that was wildly different within a very, very short period of time, like to the, to the fact that where I played as a count, I had a duke that was my overlord, and I didn't realise that he was of a different faith than what I was, but the actual king of Bulgaria was actually a um, was of the same faith that I was. I didn't realise that he was the father of the duke. <laughs> And all of a sudden, like, the game was just went crazy because uh, he died, the Duke then took over, all the religions changed. Then the next time I played it, the same Duke ended up in charge of a completely different country. And uh, just, um, like, it was wildly different, wildly different. I just thought the replay value in the game is, is just through the ceiling. It, I was annoyed that I didn't understand what was going on. Like, it took me a long time to sort of figure out what was going on with the uh, relationship between the, the King and the Duke as to why... Things were sort of happening, but no, I, I don't know. I think that there's a. I think there's. I think we'll see a lot of change with this. I can agree with that. I think that I don't know what it is about, and I, maybe again, it just might be my games and you know the the RNG, the happenstance of those games. But for me, the things around my characters changed, right? Like the the if I was playing, like if I started off as a an Irish, you know, petty king or whatever, things things were different in my immediate surrounding area. But I didn't see the kind of map shift that I can see from CK2 elsewhere, right? So, like, it felt like things around my character definitely were very different, and they, they, they were wildly, drastically different in some cases. But it just felt like I, weren't, I, I haven't seen some of the weird, crazy stuff occur elsewhere that I, I feel like I remember seeing a lot in Crusader Kings 2 and Europe Universalis. You're going to have to make that happen then, Rob. I mean, you know, just like the other Paradox games where you, there was this, you can take a perverse delight in doing something completely historically inaccurate, like, you know, fascist the USA in, in Hotline 4 or, you know, Australia takes over the world or stuff like this. Um, the, 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 the capacity to do, to take your nation or to take your lineage in a, in a, in a completely random way, like Daz was saying, you know, taking on a religion that might be cannibalistic or something, it's just com- it's just brilliant. You know, Islamic Ireland, why not? <laughs> it's, just this, it's just got this wonderful scope for playing. Just like, I mean, Solaris, they were trying to do that with Solaris, and it worked to, you know, I, I don't think it's quite as successful in Solaris because the base game isn't that good around this wonderful fluff that they've created. But Crusader Kings 3 has really got the game mechanics to be able to sustain um, these kind of crazy flights of fantasy that you want to take your take your nation down it's just yeah i'm it's just thinking about it now is giving me ideas of how i'm going to take my next game <laughs> i'm going to do some dark stuff i'll tell you <laughs> I mean, before we move on to stories i just want to say that ck3 the engine has got me excited for up and coming uh paradox games like uh stellaris 2 or uh eu5 I think this engine's going to be a really good engine for a good vehicle for all those up-and-coming games as well. Yeah, great point. Great point. Is this still the Clausewitz engine, or have they have they changed it now? It's. I think. Yeah, I think it's 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 a it's an iteration of it, but I believe it's like a a ground up rebuilding of it in a lot of ways. So I, I'm not even sure they call it the Clausewitz engine anymore. So unless you know differently, does. No, I, I normally you see it come up on all the other games, and I've. Uh, I, you're right. I've never noticed it on this game. I wasn't looking for it, but um, yeah, you see it on everything else. It always comes up at the start. It seems yeah, like they've really, they've really blended um, some of the other mechanics from the other games, in particularly Solaris and Hearts of Iron Four. So this kind of like you know this skill tree that we were talking about, that where you 
where you can set your ruler to learn in a particular area. That's brilliant. We've talked about it already, but I just want to re-emphasize how much of an improvement that is over CK2. Rather than, like Daz was saying, you know, they've got this simulation and then you're kind of guessing to try and push the simulation in the way you want. Now you can really obviously just set your goals where you want to go and what you want to do and you can plan your build. And that's just, that's added a level of, a level of depth and you know strategic planning to the game that the, the previous games didn't have in my opinion yeah i agree i think that they've taken a lot of lessons learned from all their games and i believe that they have listened to a lot of the negative feedback that they've received from you know games like imperator or imperator however you want to pronounce it uh stellaris and these other games and they've added what i think is a really good set of core features to this game and you know i i know i'm with you drex i know that that's the inevitability is that there's going to be dlc but if you were to never buy another piece of DLC, I think Crusader Kings 3 is the first game from Paradox that really feels like it could just stay exactly as it is, and I would be perfectly fine with it. I don't feel like there's anything missing. I played CK2 with all that DLC, all that crazy DLC, and there's not a single bit of that that I feel is I'm really missing right now. So I, I'm really excited about the, the future for Crusader Kings 3. And I think honestly, like, you know, as we mentioned at the very beginning of this, honestly, this is their best release, in my opinion. I think that they they really set the bar high for themselves going forward. And I really, I don't envy them because at this point, if this thing is anything to gauge their, their future titles off of, they're, they're going to have a hard time living up to this standard. It's just, it's a very, it's a damn good game for a base game from Paradox. Yeah, actually, one th- one point uh, as well. Actually, just so, uh, sort of talking about the way that the game has been developed. Have you guys seen how many mods there are already for the game, and how good those mods actually are? I, it's insane, right? And it's just a few weeks old at this point. Actually, it's not even a week old. Yeah, not even a week. And at the time just- of this recording, well, it's not even a week old. And there was already a list on PC Gamer of the top ten mods, and I was like, "What? Like that's ridiculous." And then they were saying there's already th- some three hundred and twenty mods. And I mean, probably more than that. And that was a two day old, three day old article by the time I read it. And yeah, I, I'm mind blown. I think a lot of them, you know, are clearly quality of life changes, which I, you know, some people like things different ways. And I, I understand that, but some of them are pretty significant already. I cannot believe that. Well, there's a whole, there's one that actually takes you back to the bronze age already. Like they've actually built a whole, you know, they've got completely different factions, a whole lot. It's just, just phenomenal. And that's that for me. Really, that that bodes very, very well for the game. I think to actually have that sort of uh, that sort of involvement from a modding community before you even get started. So I'm really, really impressed by that as well. Yeah, I mean that it's kind of on on a par with something like Bannerlord for that. You know, they've really they've clearly designed the game to make it easier for easy for modders and easier than it was in the previous game. So, uh, you know, that's just going to extend the game's lifespan. I don't know. I'm sitting here thinking about it, and you know, we've got. I, we've all got our sort of little niggles about the game, but it is really good. I'm actually wondering if this might knock Shadow Empire off my game of the year spot. I'm not sure. Oh man! Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow! I do like not, with, not without a uh, message log. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you hear that paradox? You're not getting onto Daz's top list if you don't get that message log. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, so I do want to take a moment before we wrap this up to talk about some maybe stories you guys have had. I mean, we've all had some pretty significant time with this game now, and I want to hear what you might have that that may sound a little crazy, what may have gone down a little weird, or may have just gone down really perverted. Let's hear it. 
Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, I played a multiplayer game with two friends who have never played any games like this. Uh, well, one of them tried CK2, but it was over complex, so he couldn't get into it. But anyway, we played in Spain. So I took uh, Galicia, I think it's called, and one of them took Leon and the other one took Castile. And my idea was we would just take over, push all the uh, Muslim nations out of Spain and reform Spain. So that was going all right. And me being the little kid I am, I started seducing one of their wives <laughs> because for some reason my wife wasn't giving me any sons and I wanted a son. I may have pushed some claims on one of my friend's uh, counties. So whilst we were at war, <clears throat> my vassals took half of my friend's uh, Leon, half of Leon, and my other friend who was playing Castile, I think because there was like pop-ups and he wasn't really re reading them because he was too busy thing. And it's hard to sort of pause when you want to be in a multiplayer, playing in multiplayer. So for some reason he became Jewish and suddenly <laughs> France war decked him. <laughs> and he was confused. And he didn't know what was going on. <laughs> oh dear, it was absolutely hilarious. And whilst that was happening, yeah, my vassals was taking over half of Leon and I somehow formed... Portugal as well, whilst all of this was happening. Now, that's historically correct. I remember the Jewish province of Castile. I, that's, I, yeah, that's, <laughs> I love that. that. That shit doesn't happen in other games. That's great. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't had anything that really stood. I mean, like, I've had plenty of little things. I'm like, man, that's hilarious. Or, wow, like, I can't believe that all kind of went down. But in my most recent game, I ended up taking on as the Duke of Bohemia, right? In the uh, Holy Roman Empire. And um, I, I married into the Poland, the Polish um, lineage. And my actually, my, my son married into the the second or third heir spot. And... I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to work this angle, right? I'm going to try to get into Poland. And so I <laughs> I had a 6% chance of assassinating the second heir, and I, I pulled it off somehow. <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. There's one person left in this line, right? So he ends up assuming the throne, and my, my son, who's only 18 or 19, is now the next in line for the Polish throne. And... It, wildly enough, the they go to war with I forgot who it is. It's the um, uh, it's the country up north of it, and it's not it's not who I. It's a country that I'm not really familiar with. Anyways, they go to war. The 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 heir or the actual king himself dies in the war, and now I've assumed the leader. I, I've I'm now Poland and Bohemia, and it, it was just a really cool turn of events because a I had it said six percent, and I was like, you know what, screw it, I'm gonna try because it was also like an eleven percent chance of being caught. So I was like, whatever, the chances of me actually getting caught are really low, so I might as well just go ahead and try it, and it and it actually succeeded, and it was the same thing, you know, like this occurred even though <laughs> the the chances of this succeeding were very low. And it was just a really cool turn of events because I really wasn't expecting it. I was just sort of basically just messing around at that point. And then to have uh, then had this, I mean, I, I assumed Poland as the Bohemian Duke. It was amazing. It was a great little turn of events for me. And it was also, I, I'm still playing that game. So right now I've got way too much going on. There's a lot of people that are angry at me. And I really just, I feel like there's a lot of stories that are going to come of it. But it was just a fun, fun really really small percent chance to get an assassination and and sort of start that turn of events oh, i missed the point when i i got caught seducing his or having an affair with his wife 
and she had a son, and she, he was convinced that the son looked like me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love that. Yeah, in the game I'm recording actually for YouTube at the moment, I've got a, a cousin that was uh, like this is like this sort of the uh, like this is what I love about the game. You know, like it's sort of you you look at the cousin, he was like a craven. You know, he was just sort of like a crazy. He was very sneaky, deceitful, and so I, I married him to a similarly deceitful woman. And um, anyway, he was one of my champions as well. So I took him on this on this uh, like you know when we were sort of going off raiding, and he ends up um, he gets wounded right at the very start of the of the first battle, but he ends up being the one that kills all the other enemy champions, <laughs> and then comes back home and uh, and basically then dies when we get back home. It's just a really like once again one of those sort of epic um, Norse sort of stories. You think, oh wow, that's a just a great little storyline. It was um, not funny as such, but it was actually just really. I don't know, you sort of think that would be a that would make it everything about these little stories that come up with the game. They are stories. They're actually um, you know they've got like full on narrative uh, when you look at them in a certain way. It's very very impressive. Yeah, it's great. With that respect, it also simulates some of the darker sides of the uh, you know the medieval era and some of the things that the aristocracy are up to. Like, um, I guess my my partner walked in on me while I was I was. Uh, deep into an inbreeding program trying to there's a there's a trait in the game called pure-blooded and if you if you can inbreed enough um successfully then you can give it this this genealogical trait called pure-blooded which reduces the chance of um of like incestual mutation so you can you know if you've got geniuses in the family you can just keep breeding them and breeding them together and then eventually you've just got this crazy kind of really super strong super intelligent really pretty whatever you know all these genealogical traits or congenial traits, but um, you do get the odd kind of mutant as well, <laughs> and they just become, <laughs> and they just become alliance fodder. You know, it's like oh, the guy with the, the son with the club foot who's like stupid, and you know he's got the chicken icon because he's so thick. Well, we'll just we'll just marry him off because you know I can get an alliance with him or something. But some weird stuff happens in that game. Like my my sixty year old grandmother seduced what no mother seduced my main character, and then uh, he like <laughs> uh, it's just. I understand why some countries are kind of close to banning the game, but honestly, this is kind of, it's all stuff that happened in real life. It's all based on real life situations. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. um, you know, it's just interesting that they, they knew that people were doing dirty things like that, like the incestuous thing in, in CK2. So they've now turned it into a, into a game mechanic that can be game winning, but there's a price to pay because my all like in that game, I had to end it because literally all my, ch- none of them got the pure blood trait. They just all ended up like just these inbred, half-witted, club-footed, scaly, like, useless people. <laughs> like, don't inbreed, guys. That's that's the lesson from CK3. <laughs> and my partner was like, what the fuck are you doing, Ben? This is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mention about the, um, you know, the, the, that aspect of, uh, um, you know, with, the, I guess, like, you know, in, in real life, you know, when with the way that the game can sort of be portrayed in sort of different sorts of ways. And it's... Um, I like the way that they've actually allowed that still in the game, but also have then put in different settings where you can actually, if if some if that's something that's not going to be something that you're comfortable with, you can actually now turn it off. You can actually reverse things now as well, which I think is um, rather than just getting rid of it, I'm really glad that they didn't get rid of that aspect. Uh, but uh, I also like that they've actually allowed it for, for people who don't want to be playing with um, you know incest or whatever it might be to actually be able to at least turn that turn that you know dial that right down. So I think they've done a great job even with that. Completely agree. I think that's really important, especially for, you know, for there are places where that is illegal and it would stop the game from being sold. And, you know, people who it's quite, it's absolutely fine to find that sort of thing disgusting because it is. So, you know, any, um, 
there's there's all sorts of things that you can tinker in the game with regards to gender succession laws and all this kind of stuff. You can really tailor it to your tastes. It's, it's excellent. Yeah. Yeah, 100% agreed. And, and I just want to share one more thing that I remember. It was my second game after the tutorial. Actually, my first game after the tutorial. So I played through the tutorial and I realized that I wasn't gaining achievements because it's not Iron Man. And so I started an Iron, Iron Man case where our Iron Man game and it, it lasted a very short period of time, uh, mainly because I was given an event early on where I guess two people were brawling. And I came in there and had the decision, like a choice to make about how I was going to handle it. I decided to join in. And in the process, I got injured. And so, you know, I call for a doctor. The doctor comes. I pay like some incredibly amount of, incredible amount of money to to have this doctor castrate me in order to fix me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That didn't work. So the castration ends up killing me. And then I'm already like maybe even not even a year into this game and I'm already moving on to my successor. And I was just like, uh, oh crap. Like, I, of course I, I restarted the game. Cause I, like, I just felt like I had no time at all to figure out like what was going on. And I was already at that point, once you had your successor, who was, it was really young. So everybody hated me already. And it was just, it was funny as hell that the, you know, the way to fix me was to, cut my balls off and somehow and somehow it killed me so there you go that was going to be my second story as well that's exactly what happened to me literally that same thing you know you got the plague or something and then the doctor's like oh you get the option don't you it's like do you want to kind of just do enough or do you want to go full hell to leather and try and fix this so i I chose that one and yeah exactly with you he he castrated him and then he died and then (laughs) you well and i've also i've also Yeah, I had one too where I ended up going blind as a result. I forgot what it was that like that that they tried to attempt to. Maybe they even cut out my eye. I think they cut out my eye. Now that I think about it, and and yeah, so I was blind in one eye at that point. And my guy was a martial guy, so of course that like reduced my ability to have any sort of martial skill. And I was just like, <laughs> great, <laughs> like this this it it is absolutely a, a fantastic story generator. But at the same time, it is sadistic. You're right. Like there are just some weird shit. Like of course this is you know, based on history and based on le- like legit realism and, you know, but it takes that to the nth degree and it, and it just makes it so much more fun for it. And yeah, I'm for me, guys, I really appreciate you joining me. I think this game is something that we're going to be talking about for years to come. Crusader Kings 2 was a game that I think may have outstayed its welcome towards the end there, but I mean, there was a time where everybody was playing it and everyone knew what Crusader Kings 2 was. And I believe Crusader Kings 3 will reach, you know, even higher heights than than its predecessor. So do you guys have anything else you want to say before we wrap up? No, I'm fine. Hide your kids, hide your wife. I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hide your kids, hide your wife. But yeah, it's it's a great story generator. Like I said, I think we've said that many times, and I'm really excited to see. I hope that they they push into the role playing a little bit more. I think Daz brought up a really good point about how, you know, they've they've made a role playing game with a simulation in the background, and I actually I think that's a better game. It's a better game for it, and I hope that we start to see a little bit more of the role playing trait stuff come out and. You know, that's the only thing. I mean, even then, again, like I said before, I think this game could stay as it is and still be a great game for the next three or four years. But I think that there's still some things that they could do to generate some more depth for the people who want it and maybe even some more replayability for the people that are, are going to spend four or five, six thousand hours with the game. So 
Anything else? Yeah, you know, message yeah. log. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Message log paradox. And the only game that I can think of that really had this um, this amount of content and it was as polished on release was Warhammer Two, uh, Total War Warhammer Two. That was also really really well done on release, and I, I also felt the same thing. Like if they don't add any more to it, the game's going to be great. But you know that paradox will. Um, I've I've it's re it's re reinvigorated my my love for the company actually because I was really going off some of their business practices and. Um, if they can resist the urge to to be greedy with this one, I think that they're onto a winner. I agree, and I really look forward to sitting down again and talking about our hopes for future Paradox titles, including Stellaris Two, based on you know some of what we've seen here and also some of what we just want from Stellaris Two. But I think yeah, I think they're they're on it, right? They've they've definitely listened to feedback and they've incorporated some of the best gameplay mechanics from all their games and. And I hope that they can continue to do that going forward. So, hey, guys, thanks so much for joining me tonight talking about Crusader Kings 3. Ben, great as always. Thanks, Rob. Take it easy, man. Hey, you too. And Daz, thanks again for joining us from way down under, mate. Hey, thanks, guys. Actually, this is really good. Really good discussion. You know, it was great. Thanks for thanks for inviting me. Thanks for being here. And Drexy, thank you for <laughs> thank you for your stories. And thank you for your comedic relief. No problem, man. And until next time, this was Rob, Ben, Daz, and Drexy for Explominate. We will talk to you guys soon. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye.